0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Triathlon Science Podcast presented by Tri Mechanics Coaching. Today's episode is all about the idea or the concept of habituation versus adaptation. So, I'll go into a little bit more detail about what I mean by these things in a minute, but the first thing I've got to say is that I'm sitting here drinking my uh, morning coffee, and it's my morning very, very small flat white because unfortunately, as I've aged, I seem to have developed a bit of kind of lactose intolerance, which is actually relatively normal, but it means I can't actually tolerate much milk anymore. So I have a very small flat rice in the morning, and this is a really special coffee. So the, this is a, a Colombian, what's called Colombian Sweet Valley, or I believe it comes from the, what's called the Sweet Valley in Colombia. And this is actually uh, imported specially by a friend of mine who went over there um, and picks. He's a a roaster based in Norfolk and he picks a few of the special coffees that he likes and he creates a a kind of club um, where he distributes them to a few people around the country when he imports them as part of his roasting. And this one is, is a really interesting coffee in that it's... Uh, Colombians are normally known for the kind of caramel uh, chocolatey notes, particularly if you buy it kind of commercially roasted. It tends to be slightly over-roasted to bring out that nutty chocolateyness. But actually, this one's got lots of fruity flavours as well. That's so a really special coffee. Um, and I've been resting it, so I roasted it myself, this one, and I roasted it about a month ago, so it sat there, um, happily resting for about a month or so, which is actually quite a nice amount of time for this kind of coffee because it brings out all the fruitiness um, but you get the kind of dulling of some of the bitterness that you can get from the roasting. Okay, so two minutes in and all I've spoken about so far is coffee. So let's talk about habituation against adaptation. So what I what I mean by this? So this is a thought that I've been having over the last kind of few weeks thinking about training. Now, it all comes back to this idea, like I, I often think about training and um, what we're we actually trying to do. What are we actually trying to achieve? thing about training um i think maybe a separation between kind of exercise for health is that in training we're obviously trying to improve uh, what our bodies can do so if we're thinking from a perspective of something uh like kind of running i think it's potentially relatively straightforward or running can be relatively straightforward from a perspective of um, it's obviously something we were meant to do. And I think part of it is that my, my logical argument, one of the reasons why I've always liked running is is it kind of feels like it's getting back to what we should be able to do. And if you think of, you know, kids run around happily at a much faster pace than most of us adults without issue, that injury um, until they get kind of constrained with shoes, sitting all this kind of thing that that is part and parcel of growing up, it seems um but we 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 kind of gravitate towards running as this um this activity that essentially we are meant to do and so therefore part of being an adult with running is actually just kind of getting back towards what we what we were meant to do what we could do as children what about cycling and triathlon well obviously they're sports where we're doing something that is quite alien really to what the body actually wants to do i think we were developed Particularly the way our muscles work, we weren't really developed to definitely weren't developed to cycle, and we certainly weren't developed really to swim in the way our bodies work. We're extremely slow swimmers in comparison to pretty much anything else that swims. So I always had this thought of kind of been thought going back and forth in my mind about the idea of what we actually try to do when we train, and whether the different ways of training are approaching training in a different way or from a different perspective. So on one hand so we've got to think about it on one side you've got this idea of habituation so habituation is kind of almost basically getting getting used to something so the stimulus is just under what you can tolerate essentially or just about towards what you can tolerate and you keep doing it over and over again relatively regularly and as a result you end up with increasing or supposedly increasing your habituation or you increase your ability to just deal with it and as you then do more you obviously get better at doing that so maybe you you this, you could think about this as a, a developing a specific skill and you keep doing it over and over again and you just get better and better doing that skill like a like a basic skill in your work life that you start off with having to do it very slowly and controlled and then eventually you end up to it where it's pretty much on autopilot but what about when you're training? Well, my thought about this is things like sweet spot training. So you've got this training continuum, you, or sorry, intensity continuum, where you go from relatively easy, gradually, let's say, gradually increasing the power. So looking on that graph, gradually increasing the power as we're increasing the metabolic and the, the physiological stress, shall we say. And we hit this kind of peak at functional threshold. Now, now this is the whole point about functional threshold power. It's designed as this point where it's almost like stars align in terms of a sustained output that doesn't have us falling apart and we can sustain it for a good period of time. When we go over that, we start utilising other things, we bring in our anaerobic systems and all this side of things and our different muscle fibres. So a lot of what I think I view as kind of sweet spot is it's like aerobic habituation. We're, doing, we're just below that point we do it again and again and again you know the whole point about sweet spot training the whole idea about it, it was developed as a daily thing as in you do it pretty much the same you know the, the similar sessions 20 30 40 minute blocks every day so it's not a case of train hard train easy it is a every day you're gradually getting your body more and more used to that habit you know habituating to that stress. The opposite of that, or the way the other side of the coin, I think, with regards to this is adaptation or kind of forcing an adaptation by breaking the body down as such, or, or forcing a change because you demonstrate a failure um, in a non kind of bad judgmental view of the word. So, a good example of this might be. Um, Doing kind of VO two max intervals to failure, you are at your VO two max. You're working harder and harder, and there comes a point where you just cannot sustain the output anymore, and you fail. If that's the right way of doing, it. if you think if you're not getting doing VO two max efforts to some level of failure, whether it is a conscious failure or whether you've just dis, you just you know you're actually falling apart. I'm not sure you you maybe are actually hitting that. Whether that's actually what you're supposed to do or not supposed to do is, again, up for debate. Is it that we are just supposed to, you know, there's different levels of where that, that essentially, that failure might occur. It could be proposed that if you are constant, you know, you are putting a constant effort out, um, intensity that is close to that VO2 max, that maximal oxygen uptake, that that induces that, essentially, at some point you're going to fail whether you actually catastrophically fail the interval or not. The point being is, is that that's on the other side. I view that as a, a kind of you're almost forcing that change and then you need a rest to recover and allow your body to adapt. So that's the adaptation side of things. And that's different, I think, to following the habituation approach. So a thought. this actually a thought crossed my mind a while ago when I was listening to an interview with someone called David Sinclair who's written a book about ageing. It's all about the cellular role in aging and it's it proposes an idea that is very interesting. Aging is not what we're necessarily meant to do. We are obviously supposed to age, but we are aging far faster and it should be viewed more as a disease than it's than just a natural thing. Because we're aging so fast and so many diseases are related to that fast aging that may be premature. But he mentioned it was he was asked for exercise. So exercise is obviously extremely potent for lots of amazing things around the body. It is one of the most you know it could be one of the most important interventions it is the most important intervention if you view it from a lot of perspectives that some of us do because it has this ability to make so many changes around the body that are positive and mental health everything is positive generally when we use exercise in the right way but he was asked you know how what does he exercise and he very categorically stated that he only exercises every other day very purposefully because the research for his from his view goes on the side of. The fact that the exercise is what's called a hormetic stress. So I don't want to go too too much into the details of hormesis, but the idea with hormesis is that it's perturbing the body's homeostasis. So the home again, I'm really sorry that obviously using big words that people might not understand. Homeostasis is the, the fact that the body is in balance. So often when we are diseased, we, you know, we become out of balance, we struggle to control our homeostasis, our body's balance of all its hormones and every system. And exercise throws us out of that. It's part of what that, that forced adaptation, the really, the, you know, what it's trying to do is force you out of that homeostasis to then have to bring yourself back to it. And by bringing yourself back to it and that, that, that homeostasis, you get stronger. And his argument was that if you train every day you're you're not really pushing that homeostasis out of whack therefore you're not gaining the benefit of pushing out of whack and then recovering and actually you just habituate to a relatively lower effort that is manageable and there is some arguments behind that the thing about using something like a sweet spot approach is that you have to work quite hard and get used to working quite hard if you, if I, I mean, it always used to, used to bother me when people do kind of 20 minutes or 20 minute intervals at Sweet Spot or 2x20 at Sweet Spot because that's really not much of a session at all. And if they do that once a week, what well, I don't understand, well, I, I don't think they really achieve much from it. You know, you should be the, the proponents of Sweet Spot, the, the ones that have really used it to great effect, sometimes, you know, uh, suggesting that for certain blocks. You might do 30, 40-minute blocks of it, maybe two or three of them. So a much, much larger load almost every day because that's where you're at actual sweet spot. And there's a very big difference between being at sweet spot, which is that's that, that gap below your threshold and being at threshold. Threshold is very, very different. Completely different set of metabolic stress because you, you're tipping over that point or you're at that point where you're going to fatigue. Whereas sweet spot, you should actual sweet spot. And everyone's is different. It's often based on a, on a percentage, i.e. around 90% of your FTP. And some people might be down 85% is their sweet spot. Or 95% for some people might be their sweet spot. Anyway, the, the idea being is, is that there's this kind of two relationships between... Or the kind of thoughts of, you know, during the, the habituation route or the, the adaptation route. And I think the best way of thinking about it really, or the best way of utilizing it, might be to combine the two, going through periods... So when you, you know, for maybe a couple of weeks, you go through a period where you're trying to force adaptations. You're doing VO2 max work. You're doing hard stuff. You're trying to force so change. And you go through this up, down, up, down. Hard, easy, hard, easy. And then going through into a period, particularly if you're a time trialist, particularly a triathlete, you've got to develop that, that high habitual threshold or high ability to tolerate discomfort for a long period of time so maybe then you go into a period of a few weeks of working with sweet spot this is why i have such a massive issue with the way that polarized training is presented polarized training is not an absolute it is not a i'm training with a polarized method it might be this week i'm polarizing but next week i've finished my polarizing block or sessions and i'm moving on to doing threshold block where i'm habituating to that high effort This is why it frustrates me because it's proposed as a, this is the methodology. It's not, it's a tool. It's a tool to be used sometimes and sometimes it's not to be used. Running is different. I've always proposed that running when it comes to polarised and threshold is very different because I believe a runner should be very highly polarised most of the year but for a very, very different reason in that the longer or the easier efforts are very important to develop skill control and the tissue kind of adaptations so tissue adaptations in the tendons and all the various other structures that are so important to keep us moving and injury free when we run but also increase the speed so that is i think that is benefited by doing longer or more volume than you're used to with a, with control and with careful uh, management but with a very easy pace because actually it's all about steps so it's not about how fast you're going, it's how many repetitions of that recoil you're getting in your lower leg, for instance. So runners, I would say 80, 90% of the year at least, and it's only when they build up to things like half marathons where you have to do that habituation side. Cycling is different. I think cycling, because you're not getting, you know, there's no benefit to obviously that, um, you know, the recoil side of things. You've got to view it in a different perspective. So where do things like long rides fit into that? Is a long ride habituation? In part, yes. It's a, it's a partly a psychological habituation. You're getting used to being on the bike for a long period of time, which can be important if you're doing something like Ironman. But also there's an element of, of forced adaptation. If you're running riding for five or six hours, and again, my argument with the polarised model is that this isn't going out easy for a couple of hours. This is going out at, a, at an okay pace for five or six hours for some people because you are inducing... Um, you're getting muscle fatigue, you're bringing in other fibers, you're getting fatigue of slow twitch fibers, you're getting production of lactate, little dribbles of lactate from the fast twitch fibers having to come in and work anaerobically sometimes because you're fatiguing. That increases potentially the um, the level of certain receptors. So that's, I'm going to leave it there because we're hitting the kind of 15 minute mark. Thank you very much for listening to that. The As I say, it was just a, an idea, a rough idea around... These comparing those two contrasting styles. I'm going to develop that a little bit more in the next few podcasts. Thank you very much for listening and goodbye.